Welcome to this edition of the ASHRA Podcast. I'm Fred Wyatt, Director of Communications with the American Sexual Health Association, ASHA. Today, we're talking about a common condition for many women, chronic pelvic pain, which can stem from a host of causes, and it can really limit a woman's activities, sometimes leading to a pretty significant reduction in the quality of her life. Uh, it's a big issue, and it's one that I find complicated because chronic pelvic pain is an umbrella term. As I mentioned, there's no one cause, no one specific approach to treatment. So we're going to begin sorting it out with our guest today, Dr. Karen Tang. Dr. Tang is a gynecologic surgeon, and her practice is gynecology specialist of Philadelphia. She's an expert in the diagnosis and management of chronic pelvic pain in women, and she has some wonderful patient education videos online that we'll talk about in a bit, and we'll link to in the description for the podcast. So, Dr. Tang, thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much, Fred. I'm so happy to be here, and I just appreciate Asha inviting me to uh, have this opportunity to talk. Well, it's we're really thrilled to talk with you. This this is long overdue, so let's just jump right into it. What do we mean when we talk about chronic pelvic pain in women? I mean, what what are some of the common causes? Great, and I just want to say that was a beautiful introduction. You sort of like you know you pre pre uh, figured all of the things I'm going to be saying. Um, as you said, chronic pelvic pain is an umbrella term. Um, it's very general, and in general, it's it's a very complicated topic that often uh, is um, related to multiple different causes. So usually, when we say someone has chronic pelvic pain, it's not that we're going to find one uh, diagnosis or one um, disease state that explains everything. Um, it really is um, a, a multi-factor. Um, uh, situation and uh, very few things in medicine are like that where you know we almost expect that there are going to be many things involved um, just as a quick definition um, and when we say chronic pelvic pain um, we sort of have this arbitrary cutoff about six months or longer that a woman is experiencing pain that's affecting her quality of life and affecting her ability to function or perform the activities that she ordinarily would do during her day such as working going to school and including things like sexual activity um, it affects a large number of women and so you know in the studies, it shows it could be up to 15 or even 25% of women. I would guess it's actually even underestimated because so many women don't even think to complain about some of these symptoms. They just sort of sure. say, oh, just um, I always have these issues. It's just I have to sort of deal with them. Yeah. And sorry. Uh, yeah. And I, I, the, the, when you mentioned that it's underreported, I wonder, do you, is that partly because maybe sometimes it's just it's, uh, it's embarrassing to even bring up? Exactly. A lot of um, issues, particularly in terms of sexual activity, uh, women are just like, I just don't want to bring this up. You know, who who would I tell about this? A lot of people, even with a gynecologist, may feel very embarrassed or, you know, say that I, I just have to deal with this. this isn't something that a doctor is going to want to hear about. Um, or they don't know who to talk to about it. Um, as we'll talk about in the different causes, sometimes there's so many different symptoms, they don't even know which doctor to see about it. Okay. Um can you tell us a little bit about, you mentioned sexual functioning and the impact mm -hmm. chronic pelvic pain can have, so talk about that a little bit. What, what do women commonly experience in, uh, in that aspect of their lives? Absolutely. And so, um, so I'm a gynecologist, so a lot of women um, will mention that, you know, the pain that they're experiencing is a, a affecting their ability to participate in sex or to um, uh, have intercourse. Um, for women, uh, just because sexual response and arousal, orgasm are so um, tied to psychological and emotional factors, um, obviously things like a pain experience, even if it's not specifically related to the pelvis, um, can affect their, um, their uh, sexual experience. Um, but particularly with chronic pelvic pain, 
pain because so many of them affect things like the pelvic floor muscles, which are the muscles that surround the vagina um, and uh, also the uterus, the ovaries, um, the, the, the pelvic organs, even things like the bowels, which are in the pelvis, um, but people don't you know, think of particularly as being tied to sexual function. Um, if you're having pain in the area of the pelvis can really um, cause uh, significant pain with intercourse. Um, when we talk about pain with, with sex or intercourse, we, we kind of divide it into like when they have the pain. Is it with um, you know, penetration initially? Are they not even able to have any sort of penetration? Is it with deep penetration? So um, part of the questions that we ask when we see a patient um, will help to kind of you know, um, elicit the possible causes that could be um, uh, contributing to the pain. Um, and so oftentimes when a patient comes to see me with chronic pelvic pain, um, I always ask about sexual function. Um, do they have pain with sex? Are they having any issues with sexual activity? And oftentimes the response is that I, I haven't even been able to have sex. I'm in so much pain, I can't mm-hmm. even do anything. Um, and so, uh, you know, you start with kind of just at that point, and then you hopefully, and we'll talk about treatments later, um, get patients to the point where um, they're able to very um, uh, comfortably uh, participate in sexual activity. You know, when I was listening to you, I was wondering if there's something of a double whammy there. I mean, not only is a woman who's experienced this going through uh, what sounds like it could be a considerable amount of pain and discomfort, but then there's probably the psychological and emotional stress and then the strain on the relationship. I mean, this can really just exactly. like a domino effect, right? Exactly, absolutely. Um, and later you had a question that we we're going to be talking about, about the, um, the role of uh, the patient's partner. Um, and a woman's partner, they become really in- intimately tied into this experience because of the pain and, and the, the impact on their relationship. Um, I did want to go back. I realized I didn't kind of fully go into your question about the different causes of chronic pelvic okay. pain. Um, we've, we've sort of um, uh, touched on a couple of them already. Um, as you said in the introduction, um, chronic pelvic pain um, is often uh, related to many different diagnoses. So a lot of women will have several different um, conditions, and usually I actually tell people even before we start off that I expect to find at least three or four different conditions that are happening at the same time. Um, and so, uh, you know, we talk about everything that could be in the pelvis. And so um, a lot of women come to the gynecologist first because they're like, well, you know, clearly it should be a gynecologic issue. Um, there was actually a large study uh, of women coming to a GYN clinic in the UK for pelvic pain, and they found that only about 20% of them actually had a GYN cause. Um, the most common causes actually end up being related to the bowel or the bladder. Um, so it's a condition called irritable bowel syndrome, which is extremely common, especially in young women, um, and also something called interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome. And what those two things are, um, many people may have heard of irritable bowel syndrome, but basically it's a condition where patients have pain with a combination of things like constipation, diarrhea, or both, and they have pain with having a bowel movement or actually relieved by having a bowel movement. Um, and interstitial cystitis is a condition where the bladder becomes inflamed. And basically, these women report feeling like they have a urinary tract infection all the time. A lot of these patients have called um, doctors repeatedly for antibiotics, for UTIs. They feel like they never quite get better. Um, when I ask about those symptoms, a lot of women would be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I do feel like I have that. Um, these are extremely common, but very under diagnosed because, um, again, like you said, a lot of these are kind of embarrassing symptoms and people um, don't feel comfortable bringing them up with a doctor. So they sort of fly under the radar until a doctor specifically asks, do you have these symptoms? And they sort of, their eyes light up. They say, of course, yeah, actually, I've I've had all of those. Um, So those are two big areas that are very common causes. 
in terms of gynecologic causes of pain, probably the most common cause is something called endometriosis. Mm-hmm. About one in 10 women has endometriosis, again, very underreported and underdiagnosed. Um, and it's, what it is, is a condition where the cells that normally grow inside the cavity of the uterus, these are the cells that um, actually come out like menstrual blood every month. They kind of, they grow and they're shed every month as menstrual blood. Um, it's supposed to only grow inside the cavity. Endometriosis is a condition where the cells grow outside of the uterus on uh, on the linings of the pelvic organs. So they can grow on the ovaries, they can grow between the uterus and the rectum, they can grow on the bladder. Actually, yesterday I just did three endometriosis surgeries and found them you know, everywhere, in you know, the bladder, ovaries, uh, linings of the pelvic, uh, pelvic organs. There's an associated condition called adenomyosis, which I call a cousin of endometriosis. And what that is is where the cells grow actually into the muscle of the uterus itself. So they don't grow outside, but they're growing somewhere they ought not to inside the actual um, uterine muscle. Um, And then uh, there's actually musculoskeletal causes of pain. And this is actually something that many people don't think of. Um, When they think of having pelvic pain, no one thinks that there's muscles there. Um, uh, Many of your listeners might have heard of something called Kegel exercises, where we tell people to strengthen the muscles um, inside the vagina and actually helps with things like leaking and continence. Um, But some people may not realize is that you can actually have overspasm of those muscles, and that can be a cause of pain. In fact, it's extremely common. Um, It's something that um, I find very, very frequently when I check um, an exam on women who have pelvic pain pain. And the reason is, is because those muscles are uh, located right next to everything else, next to the bowels, next to the uterus, next to possible endometriosis. And um, just like many things can cause irritation or spasm of your muscles in your back, in your legs, your arms, um, anything that can cause irritation uh, can cause those muscles to spasm too. So they're often related to having other conditions. They're kind of caused by other conditions. They're actually even time, uh, sometimes caused by common things just like exercise. I found that a lot of women who um, uh, do a lot of running or um, certain um, repetitive exercises where they're uh, doing a lot of um, uh, motions with their legs because some of the leg muscles are actually located in the pelvis, um, that they're actually causing those muscles to get really irritated, and that's a very common cause of pain, which a lot of people don't know about. Even uh, other gynecologists may not know about that. Um, and then very rarely there's things like actual like nerve problems, uh, something called a pudendal neuropathy. Those are very rare. Um, it's something we keep an eye out for, but most of those other things I've discussed are much, much more common. And you touched a little bit before on, on the impact in terms of um, uh, depression, anxiety, um, relationships. Um, there's an extraordinarily high association with um, having psychosocial issues in women with chronic pelvic pain. And I say it's like a chicken or the egg. Um, women who have pre-existing depression, anxiety do have a predisposition to experiencing more pain. And then also women with pain obviously will feel depression and anxiety because they're so distressed at having all of this pain. So a huge percentage of women will have um, depression, anxiety, um, also things like um, uh, substance uh, use or abuse um, related to the pain. So when we uh, talk to women uh, with chronic pelvic pain, we're asking about all of these factors as well, not just their physical symptoms, but also psychosocial and lifestyle issues. That is a lot to unpack. Uh, I Um, knew... (laughs) No, no, no. It's wonderful. I mean, uh, I, you know, you know, as as we referenced in the intro, you know, I, I said it's an umbrella term. It's very complex, but I'm really beginning to see there there are there's there are a lot of dimensions to this. So the next question I was going to ask is about treatment options, and I can just tell that is not necessarily straightforward either. And you mentioned that women can have like multiple things happening at one time. So mm-hmm. there, it's it's it, it probably is a mixed bag with treatment too. I'm assuming. 
Absolutely. And and part of the um, thing that we do when we see a woman for uh, consultation for pelvic pain is is we sort of lay out a framework for it. Uh, part of the, the difficulty with an experience of chronic pelvic pain for these women, it just feels so chaotic. It feels like there's just so many things happening. They don't know what's going on. Um, and a lot of um, doctors, too, will feel a little bit overwhelmed when some of these patients come in because they have so many symptoms. I bet. Um, so, yeah. And, and so part of what we do that helps kind of start the treatment process is we actually just try and organize it and we make a plan. I always tell people we're making a plan of attack. And so, um, it, and I tell people that they're going to have several things that they'll end up needing to do and that we'll need to do with them um, to help manage uh, this process. And so I tell people, number one, we have a treatment team. Um, it's never just one doctor doing one thing that's going to fix everything. Um, because so often people have three, four diagnoses, um, I tell them they're going to have to have a good um, primary care doctor, a good um, GI doctor, uh, a mental health professional. Um, and that's one that I think a lot of people are surprised that we bring up, but um, it's so important um, to the, the, um, the treatment process is to have a good mental health professional um, that's assisting them. Um, and then oftentimes we're sending them for something like called pelvic floor physical therapy, which again blows a lot of people's minds. They've never even heard of that before, but it's extremely commonly used um, by pelvic pain specialists just because so often there is a muscle uh, condition. Um, they also help, too, with things like the bowel and bladder habits, actually. They, they help with things like chronic constipation or bladder issues. Um, and so um, I tell them, number one, we assemble our treatment team. Um, we figure out who they need to see uh, to address each of the different components. Um, and then we address the different, we call them modalities of treatment, meaning that we think about medications. Um, there's a whole slew of different types of medications that could be used, things like birth control to control the periods. Um, people who have really, really painful periods, we suppress with different types of hormonal birth controls, um, birth control pills, the Mirena IUD. Um, antidepressants, um, both actually for depression, but also for the pain. Antidepressants uh, actually function in some way as, as pain medications. Um, interestingly, they, they may function somehow in the brain in terms of processing of pain or on the nerves. Um, things like muscle relaxants. Um, there's something called gabapentin, which is a medicine that works on nerve pain. Um, and we try to be very sparing with narcotics. And I was going to talk at the, VN, uh, the end probably about something like the, um, the uh, interplay with the opioid epidemic and just in general how people experiencing chronic pain in sort of their desperation to find something that will take the pain away, um, you know, start on the path of dependence or addiction to prescription um, opioids. Um, so we try and uh, obviously nowadays be very, very mindful of really limiting the use of opioids and just using them very sure. sparingly to sort of as an adjunct to all of these other more effective and, and, and more healthy uh, treatments. And then, um, you know, sometimes people will need a surgery, um, so uh, especially for something like endometriosis. Endometriosis is, is diagnosed surgically, meaning we um, perform what's called a laparoscopy. We put a, a camera through small incisions. We inspect the, the pelvic organs, and if we see endometriosis, we remove it surgically. Um, and then we use a little bit of kind of um, uh, a unique uh, ways of giving medications, um, uh, things like um, vaginal suppositories. Um, some of the medications we give for pain can have lots of side effects. It can make you feel kind of sleepy or sedated. So sometimes we actually give them in, in a vaginal form um, that will be effective and, and get it near the pelvic organs, um, but a little bit less impact on kind of making people feel a little bit sedated or sleepy. Um, and so like I said, um, you know, we try and kind of attack each component of the possible pain sources. And I tell people, you know, in that way, we sort of chip away at each bit that could be causing them pain. Um, we may never get them to zero pain. A, a part of the treatment also has to do with managing expectations um, and, and, again, sort of, you know, giving a framework. 
And then, you know, right off the bat, I like to tell people, you know, just so that we don't set them up for disappointment or failure, um, that we may never get them to zero pain. Um, the the goal is um, control of pain and to get someone to, um, you know, a good quality of life, being able to do all the activities that they want to do, to be able to be sexually active um, and enjoy sexual activity. Um, you know, it may not be that they feel absolutely nothing. Um, you know, kind of setting that expectation in the beginning is, is helpful because I think sometimes people feel very disappointed or discouraged. They feel like I'm still feeling some pain, like this may not be working. Um, so, you know, having that kind of expectation that you're actually doing fine, we're actually doing really well. Um, uh, you know, you and I had kind of joked a little bit about uh, before we started the podcast about celebrating the small victories. Um, I told you, you have to celebrate the small victories. You know, you, you celebrate the improvements that you achieve. Um, and, uh, you know, don't be discouraged by the small setbacks. Um, so, like I said, that's the whole kind of uh, approach to the treatment. It's, it's a big one. It's a broad one. Um, and we use different approaches, but that's how we get the best success rates. So let me ask you for some practical advice here for uh, uh, the women listening to this podcast. What are some tips um, for women who may be experiencing chronic pelvic pain when it comes to talking with their healthcare provider, to broaching the subject and how to talk about it? Any, 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 any insights there? That's a great question. Um, and I feel like women who, um, you know, come prepared and, and, and have um, that, uh, you know, ability to kind of think through what they're going to be talking about with their healthcare provider, you know, you're already a step ahead. You're already kind of, you've made one kind of small victory, just, um, you know, uh, number one, committing to, to seeing someone about it. And, and like we talked about, even knowing that there's something you can do. Um, and coming prepared is actually great. Um, what I tell people when I first see them is to actually do something called keeping a pain diary, uh, meaning like you literally note down when do you have pain uh, when is it most severe? And are there certain things that are making it worse? Um, are there any associated um, activities, foods, um, you know, anything you've noticed um, that are causing potentially the pain to be worse? And you may not even notice that they're, you know, related, um, but when you keep the pain diary, you actually will start to see these patterns that then can be very helpful um, in terms of, um, you know, talking to your, your provider. So um, I tell people, think about what you ate and drank that day, um, what was happening with your bowel or bladder function, um, did you do any certain exercises or activities that day? Uh, did you try to have sex? Um, were you at a certain point in your menstrual cycle? Um, any particular stresses? Um, and just kind of noting those patterns can actually even help you see, you know, figure out who to see. Um, sometimes patients are just mm. so confused as to, you know, which doctor do I even see for this, um, that they may notice, wow, actually a lot of these pain experiences are with my bowel function. Oh, I should see, you know, my primary care or a GI doctor, um, or it's almost always when I have my period, um, or with sex, I should see a gynecologist. Um, so step number one is just trying to get a little bit more information, and that will be really helpful, too, for, um, for your doctor to be able to kind of sift through, um, you know, what could be going on. Uh, oftentimes, when we first take the history, we already have, like, I feel like, you know, 90% of the information we need to kind of figure out what's happening. So having the, the, the woman, you know, really kind of think through um, the details of what she's feeling will help with that process greatly. Um, and then uh, the other advice I'd give is to try and find doctors who specialize in chronic pain. Um, you know, they're more 
more likely to know what to look for in a history in an exam. Um, you know, uh, general OBGYNs are fantastic. They have to kind of master a lot of women's health, um, but, you know, they may not necessarily be very experienced in doing a pelvic floor muscle exam. Um, so my background is in, um, you know, advanced GYN surgery, and as part of that training, we do lots of training with chronic pelvic pain and endometriosis. And so, you know, I learned to do a very detailed exam that a lot of, you know, general um, OBGYNs may not have that experience in. Um, and then also, um, you know, pr uh, providers who are used to dealing with chronic pain patients um, are, um, you know, uh, just a little bit more, it's a little bit more common and a little bit more, you know, day-to-day. -day. Um, sometimes if a patient comes in um, and they have just a lot of issues, a lot of complaints, it seems very complicated. And sometimes that's a little overwhelming for providers, too. You know, we're, we're human beings. We feel that kind of anxiety that the patient is feeling. Sure. Um, you know, so so seeing someone who's, who's used to uh, patients with chronic pain, um, it's a little bit more manageable. Like, I feel like, you know, when I sit down with a patient, I, I can say, like, you know, we're going to take care of it. We're going to handle it. You're going to be fine, um, which, you know, sometimes if a doctor may not see a lot of pelvic pain or, or chronic pain in general, may feel a little bit overwhelmed by the information and, you know, the patient's distress. Um, so look for a doctor who specializes in chronic pain, and that could be a GI doctor, that could be a primary care doctor, that could be a surgeon or a gynecologist. Um, so just in general, try and do a little homework on, you know, what the doctor's experience is and what their background is. Um, and then the last thing I'd recommend is just, you know, understand that it's a process, um, and then uh, that, you know, you, you won't walk out of the door that day having something that's going to just completely fix everything. Um, I call it like the house MD, like the, the TV show expectation. A lot of patients think that they're going to walk in, they're going to find one mysterious, like, you know, very rare condition. It can, explains everything. You do one treatment and it's done. Um, it is much more of a process. And just to understand that, you know, they're going to walk out the door with even more doctors to see and even more things to do. Um, and that's how, you know, that's the process. We start that, um, you know, treatment plan um, and they're going to have to go out and do some things, and like I said, they have a little bit of homework to do in terms of, um, you know, what we would like them to, you know, to pursue, like the physical therapy. Um, but again, just to realize that, you know, each thing that we recommend is going to chip away a little bit at that pain, and just to, you know, to not be discouraged, um, and to know that, you know, it, it's it's going to be fine. We're going to take good care of them, and that, you know, like we're just going to start that process together. So before I let you go, let's turn our attention to something you mentioned earlier: the partner. Uh, yes. so, so yeah, I mean this is this is a key component. Uh, so what what does the partner need to know to support the woman and, and maybe make her uh, maybe maybe ease the discomfort? This is such a great question, and I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought to ask this question. I, I just love that you did. Um, I'm actually really amazed how often patients come um, to the doctor with their partner, um, and uh, and I, I tell them, and I really congratulate them because it shows that they already have a good enough relationship that the partner feels comfortable enough talking about some uncomfortable stuff, um, you know, and and uh, you know supporting this woman as she's going through a very difficult time, um, and and just to say that you know um, to one obviously have some understanding and compassion for, you know, the woman who's having so many things to deal with, obviously, in, in distress. Um, I, I tell the partners when they come in that, um, you know, they're sort of as much a part of it on the day-to-day -day as the patient is. They're seeing them suffer. They're seeing them have um, this discomfort. And obviously, you know, it's affecting sexual activity that, you know, that's affecting their quality of life as well. Um, 
And so, um, you know, uh, I tell the patients sometimes, too, to, to be uh, mindful of uh, how it is affecting their partner. Uh, I think a lot of uh, people who are going through chronic illnesses, um, sometimes like, uh, you know, not unleashed, but they, um, they, they know that their partners and loved ones love them and that they're a safe uh, place to kind of, you know, to complain or to, you know, to, to express their frustrations. Um, and sometimes they don't make, they not necessarily realize that it's affecting their partner and causing a lot of stress as well and that, you know, they're, you know, feeling this experience of discomfort and distress just as much as are in some ways. So, um, you know, there's a little bit kind of on the part of each partner um, that they have to have some understanding for the other, um, you know, to know that this is something that they're going to have to support each other through um, and to have some some compassion and, 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 and patience. Um, and I tell the partners, too, that they may actually benefit from um, counseling as well. Um, just like the caregiver for any patient going through a serious illness, um, they're going to have a lot of frustrations and stresses. Um, and so they they may actually want to consider seeing like a therapist to, to help with, with processing this whole um, uh, process as well. Um, and then uh, just to, to work on communication, um, to talk about their needs and what they need from each other. Um, and so I, I always tell them, again, if the partner is actually there with them, you know, they've already kind of, you know, took that first step of, of coming together and, and working mm-hmm. as a team on the whole, you know, uh, on the whole treatment. And so I love that. Actually, I, I really congratulate them when they come in like that. I, I say it. You know, it's a sign of a fantastic partner that they're so understanding. Absolutely. And, and I was really encouraged to hear you say that I would have thought the opposite. I, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. expected that many partners come in, but I'm glad to hear that they do. Yeah. I actually, you know, it, it's interesting of all the the conditions that I see the patients for in the office, uh, I feel that the most common uh, situations where a partner comes in is actually when they're having pain. Uh, the endometriosis patients, um, uh, you know, things like the irregular bleeding and, and other issues, like um, I think a lot of times the, the partners aren't so comfortable coming in for that. Um, but uh, interestingly, a lot of the partners do kind of come in for the um, endometriosis consults and the pain consults, and you can see their concern um, when they're sitting there and supporting their partner, which is great. This is really fascinating. We've been chatting with Dr. Karen Tang. Her practice is gynecology specialist of Philadelphia. And the website for her practice, you can find her online at philadelphiagyn.com, philadelphiagyn.com. And earlier, I referenced her patient education videos, and you can find them there. So, Dr. Tang, this was fascinating, illuminating. I mean, uh, pelvic physical therapy, who knew? You know, I know. That's yeah. what a lot of people are like. I didn't even know that was a thing, and we use it so often. It's such a great method too. Um, and I also wanted to point out, we actually recently have started some Instagram accounts um, for uh, both myself and the practice, um, and we put a lot of women's health information. Actually, that's how I first uh, met Fred, uh, is when we were putting up some information for um, uh, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And so um, it's at uh, Karen Tang, M D K A R E N T A N G M D, or at Gynecology Specialist. Um, and so we. We put a lot of information on women's health, including things like, um, uh, you know, on, on pelvic pain and, and, um, and issues with the sex and physical therapy, um, and some, also some surgical videos as well. People may be interested in seeing, um, you know, what is endometriosis? What does it look like? What is a surgery? Um, so uh, people really seem to think that those are kind of interesting. So um, hopefully people will check it out. No doubt. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today, and hopefully I can convince you to come back and talk some more. Absolutely. I would love it. Thank you so much, Fred. Uh, absolutely our pleasure and thanks also to everybody who downloads and listens to this podcast we'll have more to come so check back often 
We're online at ashasexualhealth.org, and of course, follow us on Twitter and be our friend on Facebook. You can also sign up on the website to receive Ash's update emails, and we'll let you know when new resources like this podcast with Dr. Tang, when, when they're released, you'll be the first to know what's happening. So connect with us that way. Until next time, this is Fred Wyant for ASHA. So long, everybody.